0: Welcome to the More Sure Word podcast with Pastor Matt Russell, teaching and explaining the Word of God verse by verse for your spiritual growth. Here's Pastor Matt with today's sermon. Let's begin by going to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you that you've given us this time tonight to study your Word, You are a God who reveals himself to us, who's made himself known. You tell us to draw near to you and you will draw near to us. Your creation declares your glory, but there's even greater glory to behold in the face of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank you for your written word that we may have, that we may possess, that we may treasure in our hearts so that we can always have your glory between, before our eyes. Help us, O oh Lord, as we study your word tonight. To treasure your word and to treasure the gift of the Holy Spirit that you've given to us. His ministry is great, pointing us to Christ. Help us each to grow in the knowledge of him. And to trust him more. We pray in his name, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to 1 John, 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2 verses 25 to 27 is where we'll be looking tonight and we'll be finishing up the section that John has been writing on the distinctions between Christians and antichrists and so we come to this third section who are you part three who are you part three I want to remind you of a little bit of American history to begin. The time in the mid to late 1800s when America was expanding west. Expansion and the frontier, the wild frontier on the west, as Americans were pushing the boundaries of the country, where there were battles with the Native Americans, a place for glory and fame and to become an American legend. And for one American lieutenant colonel, this was greatly desired. Lieutenant Colonel Custer, Colonel Custer, you may know his name. He's an American legend, was known most for his battle at Little Bighorn. The Battle of Little Bighorn fought in the Montana Territory. Lieutenant Colonel George Armstrong Custer took 200 or so U.S. officers and cavalrymen to rid the land of the notorious Sioux indians and their allies and maybe you've seen depictions of custer in this battle before his gold long locks flowing and shimmering in the sun as he sits on his steed making that final stand custard's final custer's final stand against those indians before those men succumb to the arrows and hatchets of the sioux indians and so it's a glorious retelling often of custer's last stand but some archaeologists and historians have shown from looking at the remains in that, in little, around Little Bighorn that the defeat wasn't as glorious as it's to- often told. It was more likely chaotic. And it was a severely devastating destro- destruction by the Sioux Indians over the American forces. That once the soldiers charged... All chaos broke loose. Custer was quickly killed and the soldiers were left without a leader fighting for their lives. And the reason this happened was because Custer led his troops into battle after an all-night hike to where the village was. And they ended up attacking in broad daylight, attacking uphill and with reinforcements coming, not waiting for them to arrive. They attacked against some 7,000 Indian forces with only over 200 men. And the Sioux were known for their horsemanship. They were excellent cavalry with techniques that American soldiers had never seen before. And so some believe that because the presidential elections were only two months away, Colonel Custer seized the opportunity for glory and fame and potentially a presidential nomination and so he led his men into battle giving them direction giving them using his authority to lead them ultimately to nothing more than every single one of them dying in the grass of montana that day and we think about colonel custer's leading and direction over these men and we have to ask ourselves who is leading your life. Who is the commander whose voice rings loudest in your ears amidst the world and its voices, giving you direction, giving you insight about life, giving you wisdom for the tough decisions, giving you the views on what's most valuable, what to pursue, giving you general knowledge about people and the world? What is leading you? Who is leading you and to what end? John writes to distinguish the voice that the Christians listen to versus the voices of the Antichrists. And he writes to us in 1 John chapter 2, verse 25. This is what he says. This is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. And these things I've written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing which you received from him abides in you and you have no need for anyone to teach you but as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie and just as it has taught you you abide in him john finishes this section on the distinguishing marks between christians and antichrists and further help us realize who we really are and it comes down to what we really pursue and why we pursue it because of who we listen to. So John concludes this section. and He wants the Christians to know who they are, what they have, and what they must do in response. He wants them to have security and assurance of mind. And so he begins this section by reminding them first of the promise for Christians. The promise for Christians. Look again at verse 25. This is the promise which He Himself made to us. Eternal life. This is the promise which He Himself made to us. Eternal life. For those who abide in the Son, and therefore the Father, He reminds those, this is the promise you have. This is the goal. This is the end. This is the purpose for life. You have received a promise from Him. Who's that? God. Not a promise you made with God, but a promise God has made to you. And He has made to us eternal life. Eternal life. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. John 3.36, He who believes in the Son has eternal life. John 4.14, Whoever drinks of the water that I give will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. John 10:27 My sheep hear my voice and I know them, they follow me, and I give eternal life to them. Romans 6:23 For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Eternal life, eternal life, eternal life. We have the promise of eternal life. But what is eternal life? What is that promise? How does it fulfill our greatest need? How is it our ultimate end? How does it relate to our purpose for existing? What is it? Ideas? What is eternal life? It's the great promise we've received. Let's let Jesus answer that question. John 17, three, Jesus said, praying to the father, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent." What is eternal life? Yes, it's the the quantity of it is everlasting forever. But what is it? Eternal life is knowing God and seeing His glory forever. Jesus defined it that way. Eternal life is knowing God, knowing the triune God, seeing the glory of God forever. We were made to run on the glory of God. In the same, same way that my car parked outside was made to run on gasoline We humans were made to run on the glory of God. The glory of God. The glory of the one who created all things. What makes God glorious? His nature, his works, his words. When we behold the glory of God, we are sustained, we are fulfilled. We are fulfilling the purpose for which we were made. Man's end is to know God, glorify Him, and enjoy Him forever. To behold His glory, His person, His works, and enjoy who He is forever. So the question is, how can I see the greatest measure of God's glory? Where do I receive the most abundance of eternal life? Of the life... Of the very quality of God. Where is that? Do you have any ideas? Listen to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4 6. For God, who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face. Of Christ, in the face of Christ, we know and see God's glory greatest in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ. Second, er, Colossians 2 verse 9 says that in Christ the fullness of deity dwell bodily. Colossians 1:15 says, the Son is the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says this. Listen, Christ is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His nature. Jesus said in John 12, 45, when we see the Son, we see the Father. When we look at the glory of Christ, we see the glory of God. The glory of God that Moses couldn't even behold because it would kill him. God has made it such that when we see the glory of God shining in the face of Christ, it's, it, human beings can behold that glory and live. And live with the full measure. With fullness of life. Eternal life. When we look to Christ... We see the fullness of deity, we see God, we see his perfections, his works, we hear his words. We see the glory of the invisible God in the face of Christ. And when we behold that glory, we are filled, we are sustained, we are transformed to become more like him. It is our purpose to know God. And glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. And so, anyone who is in Christ receives this kind of life. Life that can behold the glory of God in the face of Christ. Life that transforms that person into the very image of that God. Wow. We become... Literally, reflections of the glory of the God of the universe. And so, it's my purpose to see the glory of God. I was made for that. It's your purpose to see the glory of God and enjoy Him forever. That's what we were made for. That's what Adam and Eve were made for. So, through repentance and faith in Christ, through a new nature given by the Holy Spirit, we return to our purpose to know and enjoy God, seeing His glory forever. And it only is through Jesus, the one and only Christ. But isn't that the problem? Right there. That's the struggle. The problem is is that the world isn't only full of Bible-believing, Christ-exalting, God-honoring Christians. The world is full of Christians and all sorts of antichrists. Antichrists who present other purposes for living. Deceptions that lead us astray. That redirect us from our purpose. The reason why we exist. Why we were created. And so we find ourselves in a battle because of these Antichrists. And because of the pattern of these Antichrists. And that was what John gives us in verse 26. The pattern of of antichrists the pattern of antichrists that deceives us from the promise we have as christians look at verse 26 john says these things i've written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you trying to deceive you and he writes it in a continuous way these antichrists are continuously trying to lead away from truth Are you guys too young to know about Wiley Coyote and the road runner? Think of the road runner he's blistering down the path Wiley Coyote sees him coming down the path he sees that ball of dust coming there's a fork in the road and a sign pointing to the safe way and the other path leads to a sheer cliff so Wiley spins the sign around so that uh, the roadrunner will blaze down the wrong path and ultimately fall to his death down a sheer cliff. But as it always goes, you know, the roadrunner goes down that path and he's so fast that he literally runs on air and then crosses over the chasm to safety. But that's what the Antichrists do. They present to you a deception, a lie, to lead you to your destruction. To lead you to your destruction. It seems promising, but it ends in destruction. Some antichrists don't even realize that they're leading people into destruction. They themselves are deceived. But others are willfully leading people into destruction. Usually for their own gain. Jesus said of the Pharisees in his day in Matthew 15, 14. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. There are many people, many antichrists in our day who are lying to us, trying to lead us away from our true purpose of knowing God and enjoying His glory forever. The Gnostics of John's day were trying to lead the Christians of Asia Minor away from the true promise of eternal life in the only Christ. And so... Even today, there are those who present to us all sorts of reasons for living. All sorts of purposes for existence. The Mormons say, our purpose is to eventually have our own planet one day. That they will eventually exalt themselves to the position of a little God who gets to have His own planet with people who He's the God of. The purpose of the Roman Catholic is to be a good person. Self-exaltation. I'll have my own righteousness before God. That will be sufficient. And it will help me escape purgatory or hell. But even the world itself, just secular world, worldliness, they tell you your purpose is to do anything and everything you can in this life to please yourself. Find any and every pleasure you can You only live once. This is your life. Live it up. Enjoy it. Feed your lusts. Feed your heart's desires. But notice what John says here in verse 26. He starts it out by saying, These things I have written to you. You see, God's word is what warns us, revealing truth and exposing deception. John says, I am urgently writing to you, I have written to you, to warn you, to warn you, to remind you of the truth, and to expose to you the destruction at the end of the path that the Antichrists are presenting. But you know as well as I do, not everyone turns to Scripture as their source of truth, do they? How many people in this world actually believe that the Bible is true, that it's the Word of God and it is the source of all wisdom? Why is it that you believe and others don't? Why is that? How is it that you believe that God's Word is what it says it is, the breathed out Word of God, and it is sufficient for your life and godliness? Why is that? It's because of the God given protection that He's given to each one of us in Christ against the deceptions of the Antichrist. Look at verse 27 and the protection against Antichrist, a protection against deception. John says in verse 27 As for you, as for you, Christians, as for you, little children. The anointing which you received from him abides in you. And you have no need for anyone to teach you. As for you, Christians, you have the anointing. What was that again? What did we learn from verse 20? What is the anointing, or who is the anointing? Sets us apart from the world the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, he says, dwells within all Christians. Look again at verse 27. The anointing which you have received, which you received. What's significant about that? What's significant about the tense that he uses there? The anointing which you received. Past tense. You received it. You already have him dwelling within you. When you came to faith in Christ. And notice again, verse 27, which you received from him. From Christ. Christ gave him to all who believe. To all who believe. Listen to what Jesus said in John fourteen sixteen. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. John 16:7 But I tell you the truth it is to your advantage that I go away for if I do not go away the helper will not come to you but if I go I will send him to you John 14:26 listen to this one but the helper the holy spirit whom the father will send in my name he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you Interesting what does John say here in verse 27 and you have no need for anyone to teach you and what did Jesus say in John fourteen twenty-six? he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I said to you John is simply reminding them of what Jesus said in the upper room to his disciples that we have the teacher within us and we have no need to turn to other teachers you're thinking wait a second What does this mean? Does this mean I never have to listen to a teacher ever again? Some of you are probably thinking, I hope that's what he means. But that's not what John is saying here. What is he saying in the context? What is his point? And you have no need for anyone to teach you. Because you have the one who teaches you within you. First, we ask ourselves, what does he teach us? What does the Holy Spirit teach us? What does he help us to understand? What did he write? God's word. All Scripture is God breathed. Second, Second Timothy three sixteen, Second Peter one verses nineteen through twenty one. Holy men of God were carried along by the Holy Spirit and wrote. The Spirit of God inspired the Word of God. This word was authored by the Holy Spirit who carried along human writers. And so what John is saying here is you have the one within you who wrote the word of God. This is the teaching that you remember, that you look to, that you need to understand. You don't have any need for Worldly teachers, worldly philosophies, other spiritual ideas, other religions, other direction from the world. That's what John's saying here in the context. The Gnostics, the false teachers were coming in and trying to present to them other truths outside of what was written by the Holy Spirit. And John says, you have no need for that. You have the one who teaches you the truth, the truth that he wrote. And so his teaching is all we need for life and godliness. This still may not be a sufficient explanation. You might be thinking, well, what about teachers like Pastor John Mark on Sunday? Is John saying, I don't have need for Sunday teaching? Think about that. Any church that is following the prescription of Scripture The pastor, who's been equipped by God, stands up and teaches what? Does he teach his own ideas? Does he teach worldly philosophy? Does he teach cute little feel-good sayings? No, he teaches the Word of God. As Paul told Timothy, preach the word in season, out of season. When Pastor John Mark stands up on Sunday and teaches from God's word, you are hearing the voice of God from the pages of God's word. It is God who is teaching his people through the word of God. And he is simply a mouthpiece, a herald, a voice through which we hear God's word. And the Holy Spirit within us enables us to understand that word that is presented And so John is saying, we have the one who protects us within us, who teaches us, enables us to understand the truth that we need for life. To give us direction, to point us to the true promise of eternal life in Jesus Christ alone. Who presents to us our purpose for life, to know God and enjoy Him forever. And the way in which we do that. And so, if this is true, what is our response? That's what John concludes with in verse, the second half of verse 27. The pathway as Christians. What is our response? What are we to do? What is our path? Look at verse 27. But as his anointing teaches you all about all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, here's the command. You Abide in him. Christians must remain in Christ and in the truth. And as if it wasn't enough for him to command this, he gives uh, the readers reasons for why. Look again at verse 27. It's everything that leads up to that command, starting with, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, present tense, is true is not a lie and just as it has taught you four reasons abide in the truth abide in the truth because you've already been taught you've already if you're if you came to faith in christ you were shown by the holy spirit the reality of your sinfulness he showed you the condemnation that was above you by god he showed you the mercy and grace that is in christ that you can have forgiveness of sins and be covered in His righteousness. If you realize that, understood that, and came to Christ in faith, it is because the Holy Spirit has already taught you. If you come to His Word and study it and are growing in the likeness of Christ, it's because He's continuing to teach you. And it's because He is true and He is never false. The Holy Spirit has taught, continues to teach, and His teaching is true. It is never false. The Word of God is without error. It is fully sufficient for our life, for our pursuit of godliness. It is sufficient to teach us our purpose for life and to show us the way to know God and enjoy Him forever. It can never be wrong. It will never deceive because it is written by the God who cannot lie, Titus one two. It's always perfect and true, trustworthy. We all follow a leader of some sort. We all receive information, instruction, direction from somewhere. The question is what what who is that voice that you're following? And what have they promised to you? What are they promising you as your purpose? Are you sure that it is true direction and not deception? How are you protected from destruction? What if that path leads astray? Which path are you on? Truth or the one of the many lies? Are you on the wide road or the narrow road that leads to eternal life? The reality is, is that there are many in this world, like Lieutenant Colonel Custer, who are saying, follow my lead, submit to my authority, come with me, fame, glory, honor, pleasure will be yours. But in the end, it's utter slaughter. And it will be on that day of judgment. But if you listen to Scripture, you will hear the voice of the Good Shepherd. As Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. They know me, and I know them. Listen to the voice of your shepherd. Hear his leading, his encouraging, his guidance. In the pages of scripture that he wrote, these are his words. This is where you hear his voice. If you want to hear his voice out loud, read your Bible out loud, and you'll hear it. This is our shepherd's leading. And he's even given us the teacher who wrote it to help us understand it so that we may know him and enjoy him forever. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you revealed to yourself to us in your scripture. Thank you that you even went above and beyond to give us the Holy Spirit and his great ministry of illumining our minds to its truth so that we will refuse the deception. And hold to the truth. Every day, Father, we go astray. We buy into a lie. We doubt about your good commands to us. And so, Father, I pray that your spirit would help us to understand more and more of your word. That we'd behold more and more of your glory. That we may become more and more like Christ. That we may walk in the light. That we may love one another. That we may confess sin, obey your commands, and love you with our whole person as we behold your glory. Thank you that you are the greatest treasure in all the universe. And you've chosen to allow us to enjoy you as the greatest treasure through faith in Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. You've been listening to the More Sure Word Podcast the preaching ministry of Pastor Matt Russell. We hope you join us again next week. I'm Riley Whittington, and may God bless you in the true knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ.